Please take a Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 23. Uh, we'll be in verses 23 and 24 where um, Susanna was just reading for us. At Redeemer, we're working our way through the book of Matthew, and in particular, we're spending several weeks in Matthew 23. Here's what's happening in Matthew 23. Jesus is speaking to the scribes and Pharisees. That's the religious leaders of the people of Israel. And he's speaking seven woes against them, seven statements of you're wrong, I'm pointing it out, and I'm reminding you that you will be held accountable for misleading my people. Now that should have some gravity to it, right? Like when Jesus says, you're wrong, gravity. When Jesus says, you will be held accountable, gravity. And when Jesus says, let me explain it to you, stop and listen. And so that's why we are slowing down and spending some time in these seven woes. Um, This is number four. So this will be the woeful October here at Redeemer, but we will will go with that. Um, I do think these are vitally important passages for us to consider. So in this very short passage, what Jesus is going to be driving toward is this. The people of God, and even more the leaders of God's people, are intended to drive toward knowing the Lord and knowing what he desires from his people. The people of God, and even more so the leaders of God's people, are intended to drive toward knowing the Lord and knowing what the Lord desires from his people. So to drive all of this towards some takeaways, there is most certainly a New Testament space where Christ says, come to me, all you, you sinful, you far off, you broken, bring all that to me. But what he also said, or bring all that when you come to me. But what he also says is, and I will change you. I will make you like me. I will make you walk in my ways. And so where these woe statements are really focusing on is not so much the come to me part as it is what does the Lord want from us as we seek to follow him? To say I believe in Christ is to say I'm going where he's going. To say I believe in Christ is to say I trust that what he says is good and right. To say say, I believe in Christ is to say I will follow him in all of my days. These passages passages are intended to help us with that. I've entitled this sermon, Missing the Point, because ultimately what Jesus is saying to the scribes and Pharisees in this passage is, you are missing the point. You're missing the point gloriously. Gloriously. Maybe we could throw up missing the forest for the trees. There's, There's lots of ways that we could do this. So in my home, one of the ways my wife serves our family is very well is she makes a chore chart. And so every day, everybody has a chore. But here's the thing. The chore chart 
often devolves into a 7.30 p.m. argument about who did it last week and who's supposed to do it next week and all of those things. And if you're feeling seen right now, I'm with you, okay? But I'm also about to let our secret out, okay? Here's our secret. We don't really care who does what. We just care that the trash is down by the road before the trash people come to get it. And we care that everyone in our home learns to carry their weight. Beyond that, I don't really care who did what last week. Just make sure the trash gets down to the road, okay? So that parallels to this because when it devolves into a debate about who did what when, we are feistily, angrily, definitively, and passionately arguing about something that just doesn't matter. And Jesus is saying... That's exactly what you Pharisees are causing people to do. So let's, let's look at this together. So first point is camel soup. I made that up. So I trust that you've never had camel soup. Some of you that served in certain parts of the world might be like, ah, it's actually not that bad. We'll talk about that later. But Jesus is offering a critique here and he and if Jesus had an English teacher, which he doesn't, they might say he's mixing two metaphors, but they both make the same point, so we can go with it. So look at verse 24. Notice what Jesus says. You blind guides straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Now we might look at that and just simply say, oh, okay, an idiom about focusing on little things and missing big things. And we would be really, really close. But we can go a little deeper into that. Jesus is ultimately saying, you're so hyper-focused on these little points that don't matter, you're missing the massive, major, central, important point. So the gnat and the camel thing goes down like this. Gnats and camels were both unclean animals. And a good, faithful Jew wouldn't eat a gnat, nor drink anything contaminated by a camel, because they were both unclean, okay? You guys with me? Good, faithful Jew doesn't want to be unclean. What Jesus is saying is this, because they would actually do this. Like, there was all this study that in some forms of fermentation, gnats would get into the um, the fruit juices before they fermented. And so you might um, actually accidentally swallow a gnat. So they got like, they would literally strain their beverages before they would drink them to make sure they weren't accidentally drinking unclean gnats. Now, Jesus is not saying drink the gnats. What he's saying is you're straining out the gnat but there's a massive camel floating in your beverage. I couldn't figure out how to drink a camel, so I called it camel soup. But the idea, the principle, would still be the same. Like, you're so hyper-focused on these little, tiny, possible, accidental transgressions that you're missing the major things. Now, we would be 100% wrong to then say, don't worry about accidental transgression. That's not the takeaway. The takeaway is... Focus on the major things first. Focus on the major things first. 
So Jesus is ultimately saying, while straining for gnats, there's a very large, very obvious, and very unclean camel lurking in your bucket. So maybe we could say, we can make up our own little idiom here, don't miss the camel while hunting for gnats. But also remember that both camels and gnats, metaphorically, were unclean, and therefore they mattered. The guiding principle driving through this, these two verses is not what little things should we focus on to make sure we're doing the little things well, but the driving principle is what does the Lord desire from his people? What does the Lord desire from his people? We get a second example, um, and it's about tithing. Here we go. You're like, oh, here we go. Pastor tithing. Here we go. Eh, we'll see. But notice what Jesus says. Woe to you, verse 23, Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. This parallels the gnat and the camel. So hear this clearly. Jesus is not saying that tithing is bad. But he's saying, understand the point of the law of the Lord. So tithing was a practice very well detailed in the Old Testament. And in this practice, one would set aside 10% of his or her income and possessions and crops to be given to the Lord and the purposes of the Lord. But again, what's the central matter here? To the Lord and to the purposes of the Lord. So in seeking to tithe well, the Pharisees were teaching people how to account for their assets down to the smallest detail. I mean, if you're a farmer or a gardener, mint, dill, and Cumin are very tiny realities. And it seems if what Jesus is saying is, what if instead of teaching people how to be meticulous accountants, we taught them to meticulously love the Lord and follow him? So if we just track this out about tithing, Tithing in the Old Testament was, and quite frankly, in the New Testament, is about worship. It's about worshiping God. Tithing is about acknowledging God's provision to you and recognizing that everything you have is a blessing from the Lord. And tithing is about participating in God's work by helping it move forward through your giving. That's that's the central matter in tithing. And so all Jesus is saying is when you teach people to be really uptight about how to divide their mint into tenths or their cumin into tenths or their dill into tenths, You're missing the point of 
the whole practice. The point of the practice is worship. The point of the practice is acknowledgement. The point of the practice is participation in what the Lord is doing. So the implications from this passage and this point is, is this. In all of our practices, in all of our spiritual efforts, our spiritual disciplines, and our biblical requirements, what is the main point that the Lord is after? What's the main point that the Lord is after? What's the central matter? And then secondarily, if I was given truth serum and I was fully exposed, is my practice about the little details of what I do or is my practice about the central matter of what the Lord desires? And then third, if I lead anyone in my home, in the church, in the world, if I lead anyone spiritually, in which way am I leading them? Am I leading them toward the central matters or am I leading them toward, toward the, the really overly focused dotting of I's and crossing of T's that potentially misses the point? So like, now, before I move forward and, and, and get to some modern things, Jesus is not saying don't give. That's not what he's saying. He's saying don't get lost in the practice such that you miss the Lord. So let's, let's take some things. Bible reading. What's the point of Bible reading? To hear from God. How much of it you do, what books you do it in, which plan you subscribe to, where you sit when you do it, which version of the Bible you do it from, what beverage you have in your hand while you do it, whom you discuss it with later in the day. Those are all the trivial matters, but the central point is Christians need to hear from the Lord. Prayer. What's the point of prayer? To interact with and commune with God and to cry out to Him. So whether your prayers are more formal, more rote, or more spontaneous, whether, whether you're guided from the Psalms or a prayer book, or you just close your eyes and say, Lord, help, I got nothing else, whether you pray while still in bed, that's usually a great way to just miss your alarm or fall back to sleep, but let's keep going. Whether you pray while still in bed or out of bed before the sun comes up or after the sun comes up, I'm on that team, or late at night or over lunch or while you drive to work, those are not the major point. The major point is we need to engage with the Lord. Giving. 
getting hyper-focused on spreadsheets to determine what to give to Redeemer? Or if you don't go to Redeemer, the church that you attend, and other important ministries? I Man, I don't think that's the point. Now, I will say if you're self-employed or if you have a big portfolio, it might be a little harder to dig through all of that, but... But those of us that have no portfolio and we just get a paycheck, like it's really simple stuff for us. By the way, thank you for the paycheck. But but getting lost in that is not the point, I don't think. The point is, will I use what the Lord's given me to worship him? Will I use what the Lord's given me to serve him? Will I use what the Lord's given me to further his work in the world? We could keep going, but there's a few for us to wrestle with. The guiding principle that Jesus is laying out is this. Be more concerned with what the Lord desires than how you do it. And then obey the Lord in some way. So if any of you are listening to this going, oh, huh. All expectation, gone. That is not what's being said. If any of you are listening to this and going, ah, don't have to read the Bible anymore, that's not what's being said. Don't have to give, that's not what's being said. Don't have to pray, that's not what's being said. What's being said is don't get so lost in the how-tos that you miss the Lord, that you miss his word, that you miss walking with him, that you miss following him. So here's your challenge. Take your little, the things that you do regularly for spiritual biblical purposes. Some of you have a very ornamentally typed list of that that lies beside your bed, and some of us just kind of go with it, okay? Notice where I put me. Here's your challenge. Write those things down. You know, I, I try to read the Bible. I try to pray. I go to a, a discipleship group. I go to a community group. I come to church on Sunday. Um, we give regularly. We have neighbors over um, to build relationships that could be used for mission. Um, we pray for missionaries on Wednesday evening over dinner. Like, like whatever your thing is. By the way, those all aren't even true of me or my family. I'm just, just throwing ideas out. Whatever it is, write them down and ask yourself this question. What's the central point in those practices? And then am I missing the point? Because that's what Jesus is getting onto them for. He's not saying quit tithing. And he's not saying be unclean. He's saying don't miss the Lord and the ways of the Lord as you seek to obey the Lord. So then, Jesus goes a little bit further. And this is going to push us to our second point. Uh, Three words. It's in the middle of chapter 23. He says, Woe to you, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. And so what weightier matters means here is not heavier. It doesn't even mean harder. It means the more important or the more central elements of the word of the Lord. And he said, you've missed them. So he says, in the law, and so here the law would be the law of Moses, the, the guiding principle for what it means to be the people of God, the people of Israel, the people of Yahweh, 
in all of the tangible, practical things, and in the subsets of the tangible, practical things that y'all have made up, and in the subsets of the subsets of the tangible, practical things that y'all have made up, you've missed the way to your point. You've missed the central point. What's the central point? Jesus says, justice, mercy, faithfulness. Now, I need to call upon you to suspend disbelief for a few minutes, okay? And this is the disbelief. We live in a culture where words are being used in very unbiblical ways. That's fine. So we have to wrestle to understand them biblically. And so some of you right now are hardwired to think, if someone says justice, they are a woke liberal who's given up the gospel and not worthy of being listened to anymore. Others of you are hardwired to hear the word justice and think, oh, that's right, lay it down, smack the law and vengeance and justice. See, I used it wrong, and judgment and condemnation, like bring it. And I think both of you are a little bit wrong and a little bit right. So just, just if you would just suspend disbelief for a minute and hear what Jesus is saying. He says the central matters, and by the way, if Jesus says that it doesn't matter what your buddies say, like we go with it, we have to go with it, right? Jesus over tribe always. Jesus over Twitter or Instagram or whatever else the young folks are using, always. Talk about social media, you get amens. Thank you. I see you. So Jesus says, the more central matters are justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Okay, so let's talk about these three words, justice, mercy, faithfulness. Justice is ultimately doing what is right from God's perspective. Justice is doing what's right from God's perspective. So the scripture would say that God is always just, which means he always does right. Can we do a little aside here? Aside I've found in my own vocabulary and in the vocabulary of Christians that we often use justice and judgment as synonyms. But they're not synonyms. The judgment of God is just. But the justice of God, doing what is right always, is broader than just judgment and condemnation. I know that feels like a little bit of a logic course that needs a whiteboard. Everybody with me here? So justice is not a synonym of judgment. It could be used in that way, like when God condemns an evil person to an eternity separated from him, that is judgment and that is just. But when God forgives a sinner who comes to his son, that is merciful and gracious, and that is just because Jesus has borne the penalty for that sin. So justice is knowing what is right from God's perspective and pursuing it. And pursuing it. 
So it seems that Jesus is frustrated with the scribes and the Pharisees for not pushing and teaching and guiding the people to love justice. Okay, now, here's where things start to break down. We all have different answers to the question, how do we pursue justice? But I want to take some ground back right here. I don't care about governments right now. And what I'm saying to you right now, I don't care about governments. What I'm saying right now is Christians, the Lord would want we who know and are loved by and follow the just God to want what is right and good and honoring to the Lord to take place. So remember I said we start very polarized here? I just want to want to take some ground back. Like, let's take some ground back where Christians can have conversations about what it looks like to walk in justice. Meaning, to walk in what the Lord would declare to be right. Okay, I have to keep going. Second, mercy. Justice, I realize I got all of us a little provoked and a little thinking. If we can move that far, then we've moved somewhere today, okay? If we can move that far, we've moved somewhere today. And then let's be gracious and kind to let one another have some conversations of what that might look like. And if you live out in the country in Westmoreland and you live... In downtown Nashville, those things might have some very different tangible applications. And that's okay. That's okay. Second, mercy. Mercy is compassion toward others. Mercy is compassion toward others. To put it in a very... God toward man sense, the mercy of God is God not giving to man what man deserves. Okay? Now, I want to go a little further because we actually had a great conversation about this in community group this week. Mercy and grace also are not exact synonyms. They're two sides of a coin, but they're not exact synonyms. Mercy is God doesn't give us what we deserve. So it's a withholding. Grace is God giving us something we don't deserve, okay? It's a giving. So the gospel of Jesus is mercy plus grace. We need mercy plus grace. We need both to be redeemed and to be called children of God. But here, we're not God. So Jesus seems to be saying to the scribes and Pharisees, you're guilty of not teaching the people to pursue mercy, to be merciful in their dealings with others. Now, you can be merciful and still believe in consequence. Kids, I hope you heard that. Your parents can be filled with mercy and still punish you this afternoon. Don't be stupid. Don't be disobedient. 
But I think we can all tell a difference in the person that walks around filled with rage and ready to snap on anybody that dare transgress them in the most minimal sense. And the person who has a disposition of compassion and a disposition of being slow to anger, disposition of being quick to listen, a disposition of being slow to speak. By the way, that's James chapter 1, if you want to go look that up. Um, Jesus says, mercy is actively showing compassion toward others, and it seems that he would want his people to be known for their mercy. So the next time you have a hard decision to make, What if instead of using this lone diagnostic question, what does this person deserve, ask the question, what might show the compassion of God to this person? You may land in the same place, you may not, and you can still discipline your kids. Okay. Third, faithfulness. Faithfulness. Um... The word from faithfulness comes out of the same word group of, of faith, of trust in God. But faithfulness seems to move more toward a way of life and action. And so we could define faithfulness as a life that actively maintains faith in God and displays allegiance to So a life that actively displays an enduring faith and an enduring allegiance to God. So faith is I trust the Lord. Allegiance is I am only, he gets my everything. And faithfulness is a way of life that exudes trust in Christ and allegiance to Christ above all else. Now, I know most of the people in this room, if you're in Christ, if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, most of you have faith. But I think a diagnostic question from us is, is, does our life display allegiance, commitment to this Christ? And where might it not? So woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you, oh, wait, that's the wrong one. For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. So, pastor, what if I look at my life and I say there is failure abounding? That's the realization that we all have to make to take a step toward Christ. Christ came to redeem us from our failures and to change who we are. So we confess our failure to the Lord. We trust that the blood of Jesus covers our failures. And we continue to ask the Spirit of God to help us focus on the central matters of the word of the Lord. By the way, when I say we recognize We confess, we ask for help. I'm not even talking to those who are separate from Christ in the room. I'm talking to those of us who belong to Christ. Now, if you're like, I'm a failure and I know I'm separate from Christ. Jesus came to give fullness 
and salvation and wholeness and healing to folks who reject him at first. And so I would call upon you to acknowledge your sin, acknowledge your brokenness, come to Jesus, ask him to redeem you, ask him to save you, ask him to help you, ask him to forgive you, and ask his spirit to begin that long, slow, hard work of changing who you are. And on that long, slow path, you can join us as the Lord guides us home. Our Father and our God, we pray now that you would take these words of truth and as much as what's been spoken here is right and good and faithful to you, we pray that you would help us to walk in your ways. We pray that you would teach us your word. We pray that you would glorify yourself. We pray this because of Jesus. Amen.